Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Jordan coming to you this week with Jason Hubner, who delivered the message to 12th uh, yesterday, which would have been July 30th. So Jason, we're so glad to have you in Garen's absence and you did a great job teaching us. We're, um, we're going to try and live it out this week, but before we do that, just good to have you in the studio and talk with you a little bit about what we went over and, uh, just some, maybe some questions and, and fleshing that out a little bit. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Good to be here. I don't know if we have the witty banter that you and Jordan, you and the Garen seem to have on here, Jordan, with the oh, the podcast. Well, I write all Garen's jokes for that. So, aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah. So, if you ever wonder why it's so good, that's the that's the reason. I I wonder who else listens to the podcast because I I'm a regular I'm a regular listener. Regular listener, first time on uh, on the podcast. Long time listener, first time caller. That's right. We should do call-ins. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> I like that idea. That'd be rough. You were just telling me before we hit record that you used to work at a radio station in college. Is that right? Yeah, KKOW in Pittsburgh, Kansas. That's funny. I remember one time recording a commercial on the radio for a chainsaw. And I can still remember some of the the copy for uh, the local steel chainsaw uh, outlet in in Pittsburgh, Kansas. So. That's so funny. There's nothing like hearing your radio, hearing your voice on the radio or on a podcast or whatever, and you're just like, oh man, that's <laughs> that's what everybody hears. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's jump into this. You gave us a great message. It was rooted in Acts 20. The title was a life worth imitating, referring to Paul. And uh, that scripture where he challenges us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so that was kind of where you took us. It was a really, I love sermons where you just really get into it and you get the meat and you you spend the majority of your time thinking through things and you teach like that. And so I enjoy that. And that's how yesterday was. We kind of just jumped into uh, those five applications. And so I have a ton of good notes. I know we've talked about this a little bit ahead of time, but it's going to be tough to keep this to our normal time because there's so many things that I want to chat about. But I did want to start here with you. You kind of kicked it off talking about how we've all got people in faith that we look up to or want to emulate on some level or we're inspired by their faith journey. So I wanted to kick that back to you to start. Is there a church father? Is there a martyr? Is there even somebody, a contemporary of yours who's currently in ministry that does that for you, inspires your faith or challenges you or that you maybe look to emulate in some ways? Yeah, you know, the first thing that I would say about that um, is just that I think everyone is doing that, whether you realize it or not. Um, I imagine that outside of the context of, of church and faith, you know, if you grab somebody in their vocation or in education, wherever they're at, and ask them, like, who are you kind of modeling your life on? 
Um, I think everyone's doing that. So I would say, let's just do it intentionally, do it on purpose. So look for, look for them, some specific stuff in the people around you that, that you want. It's true of their life and you want it to be true uh, of yourself. And I mean, I think Garen and Scott Waters, you know, these two guys are, I think the first two men that I met in Emporia, Kansas, you know, 18 years ago. Wow. They, so here's a fun story back when, um, it used to be uh, Village Inn. We went and had breakfast at Village Inn. We used to have a Village Inn. We did. It's where IHOP's at now. It was Man. Village Inn. We went to have breakfast at Village Inn. Uh, and I think I had a series of interviews that day. So I walked into Village Inn with Lisa wearing a sport coat. Have you ever seen me wearing a sport coat? The answer to that is no, because I haven't worn one since. I walked into Village Inn. Saw that Garen was probably wearing a, a t-shirt and jeans, and I don't know Scott. <laughs> yeah. Scott was probably wearing like a, a sweater vest, right. and I, I threw the sport coat over to the side. But <laughs> um, those were the first two guys in Emporia that I met, and I could recognize in them men who were a decade, decade and a half ahead of me in raising children and ministry. So pretty quickly, you know, I saw some stuff in them that I wanted to emulate. Some things that. I wanted to borrow um, from from their lives lived ahead of me. And, you know, just because you have identified a mentor, someone who is is willing to make disciples, doesn't mean that they have to live a, a perfect life. Like, I don't, there are things that, you know, Garrett and I don't um, always see eye to eye on everything. And there are some things that um, even in a mentor, someone that you would want to imitate, it's okay if it doesn't match up perfectly, but I I know that in those guys, uh, you know, up close in connection with family, I've I've learned a ton just watching how they've lived life. So I would point to those guys uh, as two guys that um, yeah, I just jumped in and have met with them both off and on for uh, all of my time here in Emporia. Um, one that kind of comes to mind, not so much a church father. But anyone who's been around Christian Challenge for a, a year or two has probably heard me throw out more than my fair share of Tim Keller quotes. And I just finished Tim Keller's biography. And I think there's an element of his ministry that I really admire. And I've tried to, to model some of what I do on, on how he did it. And it's that balance between um, what I would refer to as, as orthodox, traditional uh, faith that's completely unchanging and a, a desire to engage culture that's always changing, a desire to be both have a handle on uh, solid apologetics arguments, but in the very next moment, be completely a shepherd and care about someone's soul, to care about someone's whole person. So I think Keller is an example of somebody that, you know, if, if he wrote a book, I think I've got it. And there might be one I still need to get, but the rest I've got on my bookshelf. And that shaped me a lot. Um, so I think that would be one that I would offer up. I was going to ask you about Keller because I know that you're big on him and it's hard to read or see Keller and not really appreciate him. I do too. I uh, I stumbled just a couple days ago across this YouTube video of Keller. It was a couple of years old and he was speaking at Google in front yeah. of the, the I mean, have you seen this? Yeah. It's only like 35 minutes, I think, mm -hmm. but the amount of wisdom and just practical stuff, life-changing stuff that he fits into 35 minutes is insane. 
And if you haven't seen this, just Google like Tim Keller's, you know, Google employees talk or something. I don't know. It'll pop up. It's about 35 minutes. And man, it's so good. He, he was something else. The thing I love about that video is it's not on his turf. It's not exactly. at a church. Exactly. It's like yeah, yeah. in the auditorium at Google headquarters. Yes. I would be kind of shaking in my boots. Yeah. You know, are these really bright, you know, engineering types? Are they going to have questions or thoughts that, that I can't answer? And yeah. he's not afraid to, to go wherever, to go on somebody else's turf. Yes. To, and to do it graciously, like that's the, to be thoughtful, to be engaged in theological conversation and cultural engagement, mm-hmm. but to, to bring arguments that are solid, but with just a, a shepherd's heart, a pastor's heart. I love that. And I think that's something that I've tried to live out. He's so good. Yeah. And leading a big church in New York City, you've got to be good at that. You've got to walk that tightrope well. So he sure did. So if I hear you right, your answer was essentially whether you intend to or not, you're going to emulate others. And so just be intentional about who that is because you're going to do it. It might as well be somebody who's going to grow your faith. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I think I line up with that. But then you see Paul say this and you and I are both in ministry. We know there's people who probably on some level look to imitate us as we look to imitate Christ. I don't think we would ever say that to somebody because think about the pressure of that. Like, yeah. hey, imitate me because I am imitating Jesus well and following it. It's like, wow, the pressure that Paul puts on himself when he says that. <laughs> that's, I haven't really thought about that until yesterday when you were teaching and I was kind of sitting with it, but that's crazy. We would never say that, but Paul must have really just been. And you said he's not like this superhero uh, of the faith. He like, he's got scars and he's got failures. And so um, he is somebody who is easy to read about and follow and go all in with. Uh, so I would like to say that I'd be right there imitating him if I was his contemporary, but. I have to think the reason we wouldn't say it is because we, we know our own oh, mistakes, yeah. we know our own sin. Right. But it's, it, it's happening all the time. Like there, the youth group is full of young men who are looking to you. And just as you think about how our church functions, I know this is true as a leader in our church, there are young men in the youth group who are taking uh, a variety of cues on how to live the Christian life by, by looking to you. There are, are people, there are college students who are, are watching my life and they're, they're making notes, whether that's just something they're thinking about. They're literally, you know, sometimes a student will come back to me and say, I wrote this down. You know, you said this, uh, explain that to me or, or, or maybe even pushing back against something that I said, but they're taking notes, they're writing it down, they're observing how we live life. And I think one of the things that that you know, teaches me is that's why um, how, I, how I am as a husband, as a father, um, making sure that my priorities are straight. Um, I don't want to be the reason why a college student, like their, their faith is shipwrecked because I you know, destroy things for them. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that, you know, if I'm, I always use this example one time I'm pulling into Starbucks as somebody else is pulling out of Starbucks and it's kind of like this narrow drive. And I was kind of taking up the middle and this guy coming out is taking up the middle of the drive. And we have like this second long standoff where I'm looking at this guy and this guy's looking at me and, you know, nobody's yelling, but we're kind of getting ready to like, you know, shake fist and gesture at each other. And I'm like, wait. 
what if, you know, Samuel Baker, Ian Coleman hole, you know, one of these guys who's a leader is right behind me pulling into Starbucks and like, and what was that about? Like, I don't want to live my life that way, but I still struggle with that. And, um, I know like that, that keeps us humble, right? Like that keeps us figuring out like, Lord, keep me with a right perspective on this because there are people who are watching. Yeah. So you just wait to leave town before you drive aggressively. Is that right? <laughs> no, if I we do catch it. you in Wichita, you'll be like Landis Wayman. The Landis Wayman will be in the front yard. I'm sure she regrets the day we moved. We became neighbors because I blast into the neighborhood, you know, late to get to the next thing. So That's not funny. only do I wait, I don't wait till I get out of town. It's right as I pull out of the driveway. Landis is our next guest. She's going to give us the dirt on, yeah. the, on the humors. So just really quickly, we've been talking about this for a sec, but I, I, I don't know. I want to flesh it out a little bit more. What is the difference between us and Paul then that we would never say that? We would never say, hey, student, emulate me as I emulate Christ. It just, to me, it seems for all the reasons you listed, I'm broken. I know that I'm not a perfect mirror reflecting Jesus. So I just wouldn't say it about myself. What allows Paul to say that and be in the right when he says it? Like, what's the difference there? You know, the only thing that comes to mind immediately, it, it seems like Paul lives a life of like zero compromises. That, that maybe, maybe this happens when you live a life like he did, you know, literally holding the cloaks of, of those who are throwing stones at Stephen, the, the first martyr. Like when you have seen your own willingness to compromise what's true, what's right, what's holy in such a significant way. Maybe when the Lord gets a hold of his heart and changes him, that he lives the rest of his life mm. with like no compromises. There's no, um, there's no room for doing things halfway. He is particularly uh, obedient to the Holy Spirit. I think that comes up uh, several times in Acts where uh, maybe we'll talk about that some more. But I think maybe maybe part of it has to do with being so up close and personal with sin that in the big story of like the history of faith, this was a big deal. This was heavyweight stuff. And so maybe from that point on, he, he doesn't make the compromises that are so easy for the rest of us to make. Yeah. You could be onto something there. I think that it's easy for me to give myself a pass because I look at guys like Paul and I think, well, he didn't have today's culture beating down on him. He didn't have the hard things that I have to deal with when it comes to making compromises and things. But all that aside, you look at the heart of Paul and you're right. He was at ground zero for so much ugliness against the gospel that when Jesus changed his heart, you know, that had to be pretty radical and pretty just, I mean, life altering to say the least. That's not even close to the right way to describe it, but okay. Regardless, we imitate Paul as he imitate Christ. And he was not afraid to put it out there and say it. And it's almost a challenge to us too, that we should be able to say that with our lives and say, Hey, I'm following Jesus the best I can do as I do. Um, we're not gonna be perfect, but okay. Sorry. That was something I thought about. I kind of got us on a rabbit trail, but I want to get into these five ways that you say that we can do that, that we can imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. The first one was to take in and share with others, the full counsel of God's word. And that was really good. But I want to get into these last four because that's where I really feel like there's some good discussion to be had. Because the second one was that we should live sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And there was something you said that was really interesting. You said that that the Greek word used in this, we would translate it 
Was it bound? Is that how it is in English? Constrained. constrained I think right. the ESV uses the language of constrained. Yes. And the, maybe the literal translation and would that, have been used by bound by chains or a rope. And that Paul was, that word, he was constrained or bound by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kick this back to you. You unpacked it a little bit, but maybe we could get into it even more. That is so not how our culture, or even on a guttural level, how we would view freedom, being constrained by something. So how can Paul claim freedom in Christ and yet say that he is literally bound in chains by the Holy Spirit? Those seem like opposing ideas. How can they both be true at the same time? You know, it reminds me of this really kind of tried and true illustration. You say to a child, you know, don't touch the the hot burner on the stove. And as a child, do you? I don't know that you say this, but but total freedom, ultimate freedom, means if it if it means a life free from constraint, then it means you are free to to stick your hand out and touch the burner, and it causes you harm. Um, I don't want to live a life completely free of constraint because it's not a healthy life. It's not a life um, of joy, of fulfillment. I think there is a sense, and I think we are losing this sense more and more just culturally, that be the very best at whatever it is that you want to do. But there's never any conversation about what's good, what's evil, and what's, you know, somewhere in between. If you want to be the very best that you can be at kicking puppies, like that's not a satisfying (laughs) life, but it's, it's total freedom, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing about that that's um, fulfilling or, or beautiful. Right. I think there's something about constraint. That's the the role of the law, like Paul talks about the role of the law from the, the Old Testament is to reveal how we are sinful. The other part of the role of the law is to constrain us and to protect us from what we think is good, but it's actually harmful to ourselves. Um, just this summer, Lisa and I drove out to Colorado. We, uh, Garen, a couple of years ago had suggested this route over Independence Pass and so you drive up on this crazy road over the top of the Continental Divide and, and there's a mountain on one side and there's really steep, you know, fall off the, to the valley on the other side. And in some parts of that road, it is truly dangerous because there is no guardrail. <laughs> and, and that makes Lisa anxious for like, you know, 45 minutes straight. Um, there's something reassuring about knowing a guardrail exists, and and we call that um, the law, or we call that you know the the rules of Scripture, or the the role of the Holy Spirit. That if you cross this boundary, it's not in your best interest. It's a, a deep valley, and it will cause you harm. So, um, the idea of of total freedom being good for us, I think, is a it's a misunderstanding. It's a it's a false reality that uh, I think especially a younger generation of folks that that total freedom seems to be the the god of the age right now. Yeah. I, I everything you said I couldn't have said it better. I also think about the difference between being it's negative and positive freedom, right? Being free from something but also free to it. So like mm-hmm. You know, we are constrained in this way, but that opens us up to be free to live the way that Jesus has yeah. us to and just all the beauty and goodness uh, 
and the good life that truly is in there. So yeah, everything you said is great. And that's, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, the next one, you, number three, you said that we are to guard against false teaching in the church. And I, I think you talked about this a little bit, but to me, you know, let's say that I saw that point or I heard you say that, and then I zoned a little bit because I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to me. It's not my job to guard against false teaching at 12th Avenue Baptist. I'm just sitting here in the seat. So what's a real practical way that we can do that? Or if I was to interpret it that way, did I miss what you were trying to say? You know, I'll give you an answer, but I want to give you a, another kind of piece of that. I don't know how clear this was on Sunday. I am passionate. I'm excited about um, theology, about orthodox, uh, correct belief. But even if you have a, a perfect theological system, or, or you think you do, or you, you have a perfect understanding, or you think you do, of, of God's word, that has to almost be married to a love for the Lord and a love for your neighbor. So with those, that idea in mind, I think what I always tell, like our small group leaders in challenge, you know, these are college students leading other college students. That college student is responsible for carrying the, the, the right, uh, the truth, the, the right ideas from God's word. Those um, ideas are, are preeminent in the conversation or you might have someone who's not even a believer, somebody who's a non-Christian, just say, well, here's what I think about the passage. And it's, it's okay in your small group. It's okay over coffee to really hear somebody out and let them share, here's my opinion on what God is like, on what the Bible says. But I think every um, mature follower of Jesus has some responsibility that the landing the plane, the last thought would be, but here's what we believe to be the final word that is true. Mm. And so I think if you're in a Bible study, if you're in conversation, if you um, have any role of leadership in your family, um, that you can take responsibility for knowing the full counsel of God's word, understanding what it means, and not being afraid to help kind of land the, the correct idea as you hear from other people. But to always do that married to love for the Lord and love for the person that you're the person that you're having a conversation with, love for the people in your small group, whatever the context might be. So it's not just this guarding against false teaching in the pulpit, but even in our everyday conversations and in our everyday relationships, when we're hearing things that aren't true, being loving enough to share what is true according to God's word, but also making that sweet, as the Bible would say, right? And mixing it with um lingo that is not going to be hurtful. And obviously in the context of a relationship where you've got the kind of relational capital that you can lay that yeah. down a little bit. And it's not like you just met this person at the self-checkout at Walmart and you're like, well, actually let me correct. <laughs> it's like, what? Who, yeah. what are you doing? So yeah. just being wise about when and, yeah. and how to do that. I mean, the literal context of what Paul, Paul is talking to elders in a church. Um, if we're talking about our church, we desire um, in every way possible to be completely true to, to the counsel of God's word. Um, so I think that is on Garen's heart as our pastor. That's on the hearts of, of deacons, of leaders. Um, so obviously we want to do that in the context of church. Um, I think if anyone felt like, I mean, theologically, uh, Jason, your sermon, or, or Jordan, or, or Garen, whoever was preaching, theologically, you're you're off base a little bit. 
I think we would invite that kind of dialogue Mm -hmm. because when you step into a role of leadership, um, there's a responsibility that comes with that. We don't, we don't step into that as something that's, we don't do that lightly. We don't do that without, um, without being really careful about it. So I think I, I'm open to that. I would invite that, but that also requires you to kind of grow some thick skin (laughs) and, and we, um, I think you have to be mature enough to handle anyone's uh, pushback on a sermon or something that we would teach. Right. And so I would welcome that, but you have to know that if we enter into that conversation, it's going to be a two-way conversation that, yes. that I want to drive us into a deep understanding of God's word and where, um, I mean, I, I know there have been times where I've preached and I've, I've misspoken and someone has approached me. I remember um, a couple of weeks back, someone approached me um, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whenever it was. Someone approached me after the first service and you said this, I think you meant this. And well, I think you're, you're right. I'll make that you know, clear in, in second service. There's, there has to be some, some openness to that, but um, you know, be careful if there are any like self-appointed theology police out there that that's a two-way say, street. Cause that's what really what you're looking for. Three steps off the stage <laughs> is the immediate critique. So none yeah. of us, just FYI, uh, uh, gracious, kind listener out there, none of us are looking for that, but it's not the first time it's happened. So we, we've had to kind of grow, uh, some, some skills for, for dealing with that. Yeah. Um, Garen's will be to really graciously hear you out. <laughs> And mine will be uh, to debate you, and and uh, hopefully we come out better and closer to Jesus on the other end. But yeah, so uh, if you're going to confront one of the two, uh, Garen seems like the way to go on that one. Uh, and if you critique my preaching, it's just low hanging fruit. It's just obvious. <laughs> so like, there's really no reward in me for that. Uh, okay, four and five really seemed tied together, so I'm going to read them back to back. The fourth way that we can imitate Paul is that we work hard so that we can bless those in need. And then number five, you said, to make sure our lives um, matter little compared to the importance of sharing God's grace, which is the gospel. So my, my first question is on number four, um, work hard so we can bless those in need. How do we make sure that that doesn't supersede the gospel? Because I think we all um, are passionate about social issues or we see someone in need you know, and we want to work hard for that. How do we make sure that doesn't supersede Christ in our hearts? Because sometimes it's so easy to just throw ourselves into that, whether it's clothing the naked or feeding the hungry or standing up for the oppressed. And it's just so much easier sometimes to get like really visceral and worked up and passionate about that than it is our daily walk with Jesus. So how do we keep those things in balance and not let um, one supersede the other? Well, Christ should supersede us, but you know what I mean? How do we not get that mixed up? You know, the thought comes to mind for me, I think there are a lot of ideas like this that are present within God's word where there are two ideas that they live in intention with each other. And I like the language that our job is to kind of marry them to each other. Um, one example of this, when I'm teaching through with uh, and doing premarital counseling, I'm doing some of that right now with a couple of uh, young couples who are going to get married this fall. And whenever I'm talking about that language in, in Ephesians where there's a role for a husband, there's a role for a wife, and it's this role of sacrifice for a husband and submission for a wife. Either one of these ideas, if you take them divorced from the other, they don't work. I don't think that it makes sense to say to a, a young man who's about to get married, marriage is the sacrifice of your life. 
Um, you will give your very life away. Um, maybe something about that sounds heroic, but it's kind of impractical. Uh, culturally, if you say to a young woman today, your role as a wife will include submission. That sounds so countercultural and backwards. Neither one of those ideas can exist in a healthy way by themselves. They have to be married to each other. And so I think this would be a similar kind of circumstance where, you know, Jesus himself says, here's the mark of people who know him, that you gave a cup of cold water, that you visited in prison, that you met the physical needs of people around you. I think that has to be married to the idea of doing those things in the name of Jesus, my Savior. And those of us who are sometimes more comfortable sharing the gospel or proclaiming truth, if we proclaim the gospel, if we do the truth um, without meeting people's physical needs, having a concern for the whole person, then that's an, an empty lesson, like the, the story of, um, hey, you, uh, you're hungry? Well, good luck catching fish today to, to go in your belly. Like, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm out of here. Like, that's a, a hollow um, word of advice, a hollow, I'll, I'll be praying for you. Um, it, it rings empty unless we're willing to get involved and really help people. So to me, it's one of those things they have to be married together. I wouldn't want to, to go very long in my life following Jesus without giving some thought to how I meet the physical needs of people in need around me. And I also don't want to go very long without checking to see, have I been active in proclaiming the gospel with my words, having conversation where I explain this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. If, if either one of those are missing for a long stretch of time, you have functionally divorced the one from the other. So I think mm. we have to hold on to both and hold them in tension. Maybe there being intention means there's never going to be a perfect 50-50 balance. I, I don't know what the balance is, but I don't ever want to get to where I'm, I've totally let go of one. But it's so human nature to not let things live in tension, right? It's so human nature to just go to one side or the other, whatever fits us more. So I love that word tension. Al, the predecessor to Garen, mm -hmm. would always talk about holding everything in tension. And I think you hit it on the head. They yeah. got to be married. You can't do one without the other. Question five, as we wrap it up here, we already kind of said it, but our lives should matter little compared to the importance of sharing God's grace, which is the gospel. And you gave this killer illustration about a runner running a marathon or a long race. And they, they, they're not in the race for the cup of water. They don't stop and just, oh, I'm finally here. I mean, the cup of water is good. It's along the way. But if they were to prioritize that over finishing the race, we'd say, you've got things way, way mixed up. And sometimes um, we can prioritize things in our lives over the gospel in the same way. And it just looks goofy if we look at it objectively with uh, spiritual healthy eyes. And so I just thought that was really great. I think that, you know, it kind of piggybacks onto number four, like it's so easy for us. And we see, I, I see friends in my life who really, and they're always good things. It's not a bad thing, but always really good causes and good things, but it's so easy to just make that bigger than the cross and make that their whole identity and make that their life's work. And it's like, yes, that's a part of it. But like to use your language, we've divorced that from the grace of the gospel and it's just become this humanitarian effort. So um, I think just being wary of that because those aren't bad things. When we want to work at the soup kitchen or we want to do this or that to help those around us, those are good things. I think the spirit is calling us to do those things, but it can never take the place of, you know, really sharing the gospel with somebody or dying to self 
and making Jesus King in our lives. So I just thought it was, it was great how you put that together. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Very last few questions. We've kind of, man, when we get together, I think we can just talk. So we're not going to get to go through these like we had hoped, but I wanted to point you guys towards them because these questions that he, that he ended with yesterday were so good. Um, he asked, you know, is there a mentor? Is there a leader? Is there somebody in your life that you're looking to imitate? Is there somebody a few steps behind you you're looking to bring along? And what are you doing? This is the one that got me. What are you doing to build those friendships? Are you actively seeking those out? Or are you just like kind of sitting passively and whoever God might bring into my life, that's fine, but I'm not going to go look for it and really be hungry for those things and look for those. Um, you asked us the question, how comfortable are we sharing our testimony? Do you have an elevator speech as you put it? Do you have 30 to 60 seconds of sharing why Jesus is the center of your life? Why you have devoted everything to him in a way that is compelling? Have you thought about that? Um, and then this really poignant question, is there anything uh, significant, more significant to you than Jesus, right? With that kind of marathon analogy, have you stopped and picked up the cup of water and you've ceased running the race, as Paul would say, um, because something else has become more important to you? So really good questions to sit with. I love those questions at the end because they kind of fuel my quiet time for the week ahead with just good stuff. So I, uh, I appreciate those. And then if I can, the very last thing, I told you how much I love this, but it's so good. The way that you uh, compared the paycheck, okay, I might botch it, the paycheck or the lottery ticket to the gospel, right? That sometimes we talk about knowing Jesus or going to church as this paycheck we earn, and it's just not attractive to people. But if, if we really view it for what it is, the pearl of great price that we find hidden in the field, um, you know, this lottery ticket that we've cashed in on uh, by no merit of our own, if, if that's what the gospel is, that's attractive. And is that how we, how we view it? So, so many good things there towards the end. We kind of just had to pack in, um, but appreciate all that stuff and thought it was really good. Any, we, we just went through like 30 minutes of content in about two minutes, but anything there that you wanted to have kind of a last word on? You know, I, I think of that, that illustration, um, winning the, the lotto, you know, popped into my head. I was driving home um, on I-35 from Kansas City and saw the big billboard that said, you know, the, the jackpot is up to, I don't know, $300 million, something. And in my mind, I, I, for some reason, maybe I was, maybe we're driving back from a soccer game or some family thing and the, the vehicle was quiet. So I just kind of lost in my own thoughts. I was like, what? What would I t- what would I do with that money, right? Like, what would I, um, how would I handle it? And the thought popped into my mind. I kind of alluded to uh, yesterday morning. Like, uh, immediately, I was like, wait, I couldn't tell someone that I won the lottery because that meant I'd have to tell somebody that I was playing the lottery, which is a real uh, an issue in in my mind. Which is a conversation for a different podcast or something. But you would you would want to tell somebody. You would want to say my life is not going to be the same. Like I'm not going to live in the same house. I'm not going to wear the same clothes. I'm not going to have the same job. I'm going to be completely different than I was before. And that kind of language, you could win millions of dollars and you're, you're still the same person. Like the reality of like lotto winners is they're miserable because they didn't know how to manage money when they didn't have any. And they don't know how to manage money when they have millions of dollars. Like they're, they're unhappy, they're miserable. Um, but if you win the lottery, like if you uh, find the pearl of great price, you're, 
your present moment is is completely transformed and your eternity is completely transformed. Yeah. And we just sometimes we lose sight of being able to talk about it like that. Like if you if you beat cancer, don't you tell your family like guys, guess what? I'm not sick anymore. And we're spiritually, if you know Jesus, you are not, you are no longer spiritually uh, sick. You no longer have a, um, an illness that will put you in the, the eternal grave. Yeah. And what a reason to celebrate. You but, beat that terminal yeah, diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. But we go to work on Monday morning and we don't say anything about it. We don't like, hey, yesterday I was singing songs about my transformed eternity but Monday business as usual. And that does not make any sense. I think if you think about it appropriately, yeah. that's weird, but that's most people's lived experience. So mm-hmm. it's a great analogy. It's really good. As I was sitting in the seats, we're, we're over time. So I'm going to make this quick and hopefully it doesn't spark <laughs> another 20 minute. Good thing. luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jason, so you are uh, opposed to the lottery for good, for good reason. Anybody who's talked to you and known, known you knows that. Here's my question. What if you knew the next Powerball numbers they would hit? Maybe it came to you in a dream. Maybe God gave it to you and said, Jason, do with this what you will. But you knew the Powerball numbers. Would you play the Powerball ticket if it meant winning $500 million? Here's what I think I've learned from reading Proverbs. <laughs> that would not be a blessing. It would be a curse. Mm. That, that wealth that you've somehow been able to put your hands on, separated from human effort and sacrifice, it, it, it's cancerous. Yeah. It's destructive. And I think that's part of my problem with gambling, with the lottery, is it's this hope in something empty. Yeah. Even if you win it. It's not going to be what you think it your, is. Your life is not transformed for good. Right. The Proverbs teach us that labor and sacrifice a little bit at a time mm-hmm. over an entire life transforms you that that's the the righteous way to live yeah and and the the quick version of why i also am so bothered by it i think if you read anything on on how the lotto works it's functionally a tax on the poor so if you're reading proverbs it says you know work hard over the long haul and you'll be okay i think the prophets say if you overlook those who are poor and are needy, if you keep them uh, down to your own benefit, that's one of the things that that is an indictment of the sin of the nation of Israel. So the state of Kansas has an official way to keep those who are poor, those who are buying the lottery from their social security check in their later years in a hope because the money is going to run out, their hope is going to run out, Maybe this will save me. Yeah. That's heartbreaking to me. Yeah, it is. And the state of Kansas signs off and says, hey, we approve as long as we get our cut. Right. And that makes me a little bit sick to my stomach. In addition to that, when the state of Kansas kind of established the state lottery, then they established, I think it's five officially sanctioned casinos that are um, administered by the state of Kansas as long as the state gets their cut of money. When they did that, they established the problem gambling fund. They know that people are going to be so trapped by this right. 
that we need to give money to kind of help them out. We have to offset that a little bit. And then every time that, that the state can't balance their budget, one of the first funds that they raid is, is this fund full of money mm. that's supposed to be spent on solving problem gambling. Like, yeah. I mean, this is the stuff that Al Capone went to jail for. And every every governor of Kansas, since that was established, in my mind, kind of is deserving of a little bit of grief for that. So so if anybody had come up to you after service yesterday, that's that's a, a, that's a that's taste. A short version. That's a taste. That's a short version. Keep that in mind. Yep. Man, that's a man who who has read the Proverbs and lives by the Proverbs and understands them. So that's really commendable. That's great. But I think it just speaks to this human condition, right? We're all looking for something to turn it around. We're all looking for something to make ourselves new, to get a fresh start. Yeah. Our, our flesh, our mind cries out for the gospel. It is hungry for it, hungry for renewal. And when we don't know the true healer, we look for healing in other ways and it's just destructive to us. Yeah. We'll put- the lottery just one of those things. Okay, guys, we're over on time. We hope it was useful to you. This teaching was certainly good for us yesterday. So um, Jason, thank you again for being here. We're going to have Garen back next week. We're excited for that. So 12th, be blessed. And uh, thank you for being with us.